Well, thank you, worship team. Good morning, church family. Thank you, Bob. I, my spirit is lifted. How about yours? <laughs> this is a great place to be today. It's a beautiful spring, isn't it, so far? Which means it's weed-pulling season. How many of you have started battling the weeds so far? You know how it is. Oh, that's most of you. How many have ever pulled a weed in your life? Okay, so you can relate to this right here. Well, I'm going to wear this outfit here just for a little while this morning. Uh, you know how it is with weed pulling. <sighs> and you love it or you hate it. And, uh, well, but once you get into it, once you get dirty, uh, you kind of get into it and it feels pretty good. It definitely feels really good when you're finished, right? And you look back at the finished product. It's beautiful. Really cool, right? Well, years ago I picked up this tool here at a yard sale. It's called a fishtail weeder. Does anybody have one of those? It changed our lives. I mean, when we, <laughs> it's seriously, uh, when we have weed pulling day at the Overstreet house, um, everybody fights over this tool. It's like, we want that tool. And I'm like, no, that's my tool. Um, it's so helpful because it digs right down and pulls up the entire root with almost effortlessly. And, uh, you know, the right tool makes all the difference, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to leave this, this gear on, and in a short, short while, it'll become clear why. Uh, we're going to get back into Exodus, though, first. Uh, as we move into further into Exodus, our series today, we come out of the epic story of the crossing of the Red Sea. If you were here last week, we had a lot of fun uh, looking at God's miraculous, awesome deliverance of Israel from the Red Sea, and that was, that was amazing. Now, here are two to three million people totally rescued, totally set free from slavery, totally rescued from Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh's army gone. The threat is gone. But now here's two, three million people facing a wilderness. Now what? God promised them the promised land, but there are bad guys living in it. They're not ready to, to enter that promised land. They face a wilderness. Now what? Well, guess what? God has led them there intentionally and for a purpose. Every one of us, every single one of us, has a wilderness season from time to time, don't we? Sometimes they're very short, could last a day. Sometimes they go on and on for months, sometimes years. Sometimes it seems to characterize our whole lives. Here you, God may have delivered you from something great, and surely he has. But here you stand, facing this wilderness. It could be a seat. Think of yours right now. Ones that you've had in the past. Ones you may be going through now. Maybe something that's coming in the future you don't know about. Let's prepare. It could be a season of life that's very hard. Or very dry. Uncertain. Totally uncertain about my life right now, or very painful, or confusing. Why is this happening? A time of struggle, a time of need. Have you thought about your wildernesses? Now, here we stand in this trouble, and we ask, God, what is the purpose of this wilderness? That's what we're going to look at today. Oh, and what does pulling weeds have to do with it? 
We're gonna answer that too, real soon. Okay, open your Bibles if you haven't already to Exodus 15, 22. God delivers us, but he doesn't just, here comes Chris with the bulletins, raise your hand if you need one. Those sermon notes help you follow along. God delivers us, yes he does. He delivered the Israelites over and over. He proves it to us over and over again. He's delivered this church, he's delivered you, your lives. But he doesn't just, have you noticed, he doesn't just hand us perfect lives then after that, right? He doesn't just hand us infinite wisdom to make all of our decisions just perfectly and see the whole picture. He doesn't just hand us perfect relationships. He doesn't just hand us all of these things, clear direction, instant holiness. No, these things are part of the journey of life. They are the journey of life. And nothing gets us there to those things like our wilderness does. So let's see what God has for us. We learn a lot with the Israelites today as God tests and matures them in the wilderness. Yes, point number one is the wilderness prepares us from, for the promised land. In the wilderness, God grew the Israelites preparing them for the promised land, the land that he had promised them that was going to be great blessing in their lives. And God grows us. He prepares us for the things that he has called us to and given us. Clement of Rome, an early church father, one of the earliest church fathers, explains the Exodus this way. He said, After the Red Sea crossing, Moses, by the command of God, whose providence is over all, led out the people into the wilderness that, here's the purpose, that he may root out the evils which had clung to them by a long-continued familiarity with the customs of the Egyptians. And there is part of our purpose today. Yes, God is rooting out the evils that clung to them. As we said before, God wasn't just getting his people out of Egypt. He was getting Egypt out of his people. The more important task, the harder task. And we said last week that though God delivers us completely, completely from sin and death from Jesus Christ, we are completely delivered from that. We still, however, live in this flesh. And this flesh is filled with the memories and the habits and the idols and the strongholds and the fears and all those things that we used to turn to and used to struggle with. And so the struggle continues but now we have Christ, and now we have the Holy Spirit. But we struggle to return to our Egypt, don't we? All that, that's the first, it just surprises me how much God has delivered me and how yet I continue to try to fix things in my own power, with my own wisdom, without turning to him first. This is a discipline, and God is trying to root this out of his people. We said last week, we are not slaves, remember that, but we are prone to live like slaves. He led them out of the wilderness, Clement said, that he might root out the evils that had clung to them. So, back to weeding. I was talking to uh, our family in the car this morning, and I, I said, <laughs> if I'm going to talk about weeding this morning, uh, give me a story. What, what's your impression of weeding, or do you have a weeding story? And uh, everybody agreed that we're the most frustrated, and you are too, I'm sure, when you pull a weed and you think you've got the root, but it snaps off in your hand. Isn't that the worst? And why is that? Because you know it's going to grow back in like two weeks, and you didn't get it. You really want to get that root. Here's a picture. Now that's satisfying right there. <laughs> you know that weed is not coming back. 
you got the whole root out of there. That's what God wants to do with his people back then and right now. He wants to get that Egypt out of your soul, out of your heart, out of your choice to return to those things, to that kind of slavery, to those things that aren't turning to God first. That's, and I'm going to take this off now. I feel more comfortable without all that on. Okay. That's... Feels lighter. God brings us very close to him and to, and to the life that he wants for us when he helps us through our Egypt. And what does he have to do to get that out of us? Let's look in the text today and hear God speak to us today. Sometimes he uses the wilderness. Let's connect with the Israelites. God tests them. He says, he flat out says, I'm going to lead them into the wilderness to test them and develop their hearts and have their hearts. He uses three tests today, and we're going to see the fulfillment of them in the New Testament through Christ. This is just so great. The first test is the bitter water. Here they are out of the deliverance from the Red Sea, and let's see what happens next. Chapter 15, verse 22, we'll pick up. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to to Marah, they found some water, but they could not drink the water because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. Okay, and what do you think happened? What do you think the people are going to do? They're going to grumble. They're going to complain. Let's see verse 24 through 26. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord. Remember last week we talked about Moses being a mediator. Here's God, here's the people far away from each other, but in between stands Moses. So he's going to communicate to each other and bring them together, just a picture of Christ. And the Lord, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. God delivered them. He provided for them. And there the Lord made a statu- for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them. There's our word, tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes, give ear to his commands, that's listen, and keep all his statutes, that's do, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. If you hear and do. If that sounds familiar, James 1 makes a big deal of this. Here's just verse 22 from James 1 where he says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, because what's that? That's deceiving yourselves. You're not really a God follower. Now, you are hearing this morning, when you leave here today, for the rest of the week, how you do what God has called you to do. Well, let's see. Let's see what we're going to hear this morning. Lest you deceive yourselves, and we don't want to do that. There's no time for that, to deceive yourselves. Okay, so check this out. Verse 27, God completes his fulfillment in this wilderness Beautiful, don't miss this. Right after this test, right after he got their hearts a little bit, verse 27, then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water. 
plus 70 palm trees. That's a nice touch. And they encamped there by the water. And once again, once again, the people then and us now, we now become aware that God is leading them to good places. And he's building their trust every step along the way. Oh, how good it is to realize this in our wilderness, what God may be doing. And the patiently building now continues with another provision and another test. Bread from heaven. Picking up in chapter 16, first there was the bitter water and God moved them through that. Now, bread from heaven. Chapter 16 is about this provision and test of the bread from heaven and quail. Let's scan this chapter and we're going to see three characteristics of this bread from heaven. First, it was supernatural in the first 15 verses. This bread is not like any other bread that we've ever known. Let's read a little bit, starting in verse 1. They set out from Elam, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land. So the Bible gives these time stamps. They're very significant. We know exactly when this happened. We have the date recorded of this history when it happened. This is one month now since they crossed the Red Sea. Okay, They've been out there for a month, camping by the palm trees. Now it's time to move on. And as it turns out, they're hungry in the wilderness. And what do you think they did? They complained. Yes, they grumbled. Verse 2, <laughs> we're hungry. Uh, Verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in, in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. At least we weren't hungry. Would that we have just stayed there and died there. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, the people are going to be grumbling for some time as we continue in Exodus. You know why? Because maturity takes a long time. God has delivered us from so many things, and yet we're hungry now, so I'm going to complain now. We can all admit it. This is all of us. Let's look at what we've learned by, about grumbling so far. Here's three characteristics of grumblers, and this is all of us from time to time. First, the poor memory of the past. I mean, God's many times of providing for us. We just don't, we're hungry now. We can't remember any of that. Okay, that's just characteristic of us. This is what we're growing out of, Lord willing. Second is poor vision for the future. God is with them in the pillar of cloud still. He's told them there's a promised land. He's leading them there. But they're hungry now. And forget about the promise for the future. And poor logic. We'd rather have Egypt provide for us than God? Come on. It seems silly, doesn't it? But we fall into this. The people in this room don't need to anymore. You've heard the word of the Lord. Keep listening. In your wilderness, have a great memory of the past. Have a great vision for the future. Think biblically about what's going on, processing your current situation. with what, what may be God doing? He's at least always good and in sovereign control, and he loves me. 
May God increase our faith a hundredfold today and not let us fall into this trap in the moment-by-moment trials and struggles that we have. Reject grumbling. Reject grumbling. But we continue. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread. You're hungry? I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather. Here's some instructions. Gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Here's a provision with a test. Whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. He's setting up the Sabbath Saturday here. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. He's going to provide for you, and you're going to see God's glory and his love for you. He's going to provide. Verse 8. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, or your your cry out to him. Skip to verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness, on the face of the wilderness, covering it, a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Otherwise... Other places it says it tasted sweet. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? And that's what manna means. That's why we call it manna. It means, What is it? For they did not know what it was. This wasn't a native desert plant. They had no idea. This was supernatural provision from God. It's God taking care of his people in the wilderness. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. He is growing their trust in him as he cares for them. Praise God, right? Trust God. The bread was supernatural. Second, it was sufficient daily bread. And now God teaches us for the first time this principle of trusting him for our daily bread, our needs, our daily needs. Where do you you hear that later in the Bible? In the Lord's Prayer, of course. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's where he starts this. Exodus 16, 18 through 21. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat, and Moses said to them, leave no, leave no, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they, here's the test, they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. It's a relationship. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat, but when the sun grew hot it melted. So some of them tried to do their own thing with the bread. Some tried to leave some for later, some tried to take extra for the next day, and it got nasty. Because God is teaching us, trust me, trust my words, trust my law, that the things that I say about life are true. And they're the best. And we all push back on that at different points. He says, no, trust me. The bread from heaven was supernatural and sufficient for our daily needs. And finally, it was sacred. The bread is established here as a memorial to be kept all the way to the Lord's Supper 
The bread is key right on up to the threefold communion service that we're going to have tonight. The bread is sacred to our faith. So that's tonight at 5 o'clock, right here in this room. I hope that you can come back. Let's look at the verses 22 and 23. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. He institutes the whole principle of the Sabbath rest. They're like, okay, God, twice as much bread. Why? Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. The Sabbath is going to be affirmed, established as sacred. It's one of the seven, it becomes one of the seven feasts in the Israelite feast system, all of which, and I love talking about this and studying this, the entire feast system, Jesus fulfills every part. And of course, the New Testament calls Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath because in him we find our rest. I'm kind of given the, the answer to the story here. That's ultimately the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Well, here's the beginning of instituting the Sabbath. All to show that Jesus is our source of rest. Now, after some of them disobeying and realizing God really meant what he said, oh, man, my bread, it's nasty. Oh, God really means what he says. Oh, okay, yeah, got that. Um, now verse 30 concludes, when the people grasped it, they actually started believing what the Lord was saying. In verse 30, so the people rested on the seventh day. They were able to rest and worship and learn that only God deserves our worship and our trust, and he deserves it fully. The bread of heaven provided all of this. But the people were still learning, and we're still learning today. So there's a third test given out there in the wilderness. Test three, water from the rock. The people moved on, and this time they ran out of water. They ran out of water. We pick up in chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said, why do you quarrel with me? And why do you test the Lord? Uh, but the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring here we go again? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. I don't want to miss that point either. What does Moses do? He goes right to the Lord. I think that's just so key for us. When we cry out to the Lord, go right to him, right to him first. That's when he delivers. Verse 5, and the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. Water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Okay, they ran out of water. It's natural to be 
concerned about that. <laughs> what do they do? They complain, they quarrel. They failed this test too at first. Again, they doubted God's provision and they doubted his protection. They said, you're going to kill us. See what God did here. Most people know that Moses got in trouble for striking the rock. That's not this time. That's next time. Remember, that kept him out of the promised land. He struck the rock. And we'll, we'll get to that. That comes later. But this time he was uh, commanded to strike the rock because of this. This time God told him to strike the rock to give the people life, to save them from death. And now, let's just flip into the New Testament to realize that all of these tests were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Point number two, the wilderness is fulfilled through Jesus alone. God will use wilderness seasons to get our attention, to get our hearts, to make a difference in people's lives as they come around you, to, get, to give him glory to get the Egypt out of ourselves, the things that we always turn to other than God, to get to shape us into who he wants to be for the, for the work that he has for you, the glorious work that he has for you to do, and to prepare us for the promised lands that he has in our future. So as we're going through the hard times and hard seasons and hard moments right now, it's a fallen world. There's always going to be some hard times that we're going through I hope that you remain encouraged, though, that God's, he's proven over and over his presence is with us, his protection is with us, and his provision is always there when we cry out to him. Here's what we can't do, though, along the way. We learn this from the Israelites. We learn this from our experiences. We can't keep our eyes fixed on the problems. Where do we keep our eyes fixed instead? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Praise God for the New Testament that sheds light on all this and just says, okay, Jesus is going to fulfill all this. He's the one you keep your eyes fixed on. You follow him every moment of every day. He is the reason for your faith, for your life, for your future. So we keep our eyes fixed on him. So let's look at all three of these tests filled, fulfilled in Christ right now. Hear, hear this teaching of the New Testament. First, Jesus passed the test that Israel failed. And we open to Matthew 4. You can flip there if you want. Matthew 4 is well known. That's Jesus entering the temptation in the wilderness. Very good. We need Jesus desperately because only Jesus could achieve what Israel failed, what Adam, the first man, failed to do. Jesus came and succeeded. He lived perfectly by the law and thus earned the right to become our sacrifice. Matthew 4 begins with the account of Jesus fasting for 40 days and then being tempted by Satan. And now a lot of Sunday school lessons will focus that when temptation comes, how did Jesus respond? Of course, he responded by quoting scripture. And the Sunday school lesson there is to memorize the word of God. And when temptation comes and when confusion comes, and when pain comes, you have the word of God hidden in your heart and you can quote that scripture. And that is absolutely true and very important. But it goes much deeper than that. Let me read just the first three verses. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil is the current reigning prince of the earth, and he's about to be defeated by the eternal, ultimate prince of peace. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And here we have the bread motif again, and the bread motif continues all the way up until today, this very night, when we break bread together. So Israel failed their test, and we fail our test too, and it's important to know that Jesus accomplished all of them. He passed the wilderness tests. He did not give in to temptation. He did not grumble. He did not quarrel with God's plan. He lived the perfect life that we could not, and so we fix our eyes on him. Then we see what he did next to become the bread of heaven. Jesus is our bread for eternal life. And for that, we flip over to John chapter 6. After Jesus performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000, what did he use to do that? He used two fish, one lunch, two fish and loaves of bread. And he broke that bread and multiplied that bread. And everyone wanted to follow him, of course. Free stuff. Jesus entered into some heavy discussion with them because he didn't want them to follow him for prosperity, but he wanted their hearts, and he wants our hearts too, not just prosperity. So he gets into the serious conversation with them, and that climaxes in verses 31 to 35. Let's go right here. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Okay? Exodus gets quoted more than almost every other book in the New Testament. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, he's going to apply that right now. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. That sounds pretty great. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In the wilderness, do you know Jesus? And If you do, do you walk with him all the time? Talk with him. Find your strength in him. If you don't know Jesus, are you ready to believe him and receive him and have him open your eyes to all that he's made you in him? If you're ready to do that today or interested in giving your life to Jesus, trusting him for your salvation, to give you new life, pull out that yellow communication card. I'll say this even now so you can think about it and check that box that says, contact me about a relationship with Jesus. The people here in Jesus' uh, miracle wanted salvation on their own terms, and Jesus says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, salvation comes from God's terms, so hear them and receive those. It's through Jesus alone. And like manna, Jesus came down from heaven to give life, and that's what he offers. We can choose it, or we can deny it. 
Once we've accepted his sacrifice for our salvation, now we abide with him daily, every moment of every day. And if you're not, it could be why you're experiencing distance from God. If you're experiencing spiritual hunger and thirst, emptiness, it is because you're not walking with Christ every moment of, of the day. That is the answer to why you're experiencing distance from God. He is our daily bread, and he passed the tests to offer his righteousness. Jesus is, uh, his third fulfillment of the wilderness is this. Jesus is the rock struck for our salvation. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he's going to open up Exodus, and he's going to tell you, here is the application for the rock Moses struck in the wilderness to give people life that day. It's right here. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to use the rest of the verses that follow this from 1 Corinthians as Paul is preaching from the same text we looked at today in Exodus 15, 16, 17, and hear his, his application. I'm going to use his next steps as our next steps today. But first, let's look at the first five verses, which say, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, he's preaching from Exodus, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses, the mediator, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. But he said the same thing about his church today. He doesn't have to say that about us. We can turn to him, and we need to, and we should. Now look at verse 6, or listen if it's not up there, which he just flat out says why, why the Old Testament even exists. No, verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might, and then he gives a whole bunch of therefores, a whole bunch of next steps. Let's just go through them and apply them to your life, please. Based on all of this, based on who God is, based on what he's doing in your life and calling you to do today. Now, these, all these things took place, for examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Look, there is a natural sin in our heart that desires to feed the flesh and desires evil things all the time. And I can't wait for heaven when that's finally lifted and gone. But here it is. It's in us. Now, sin doesn't have an ownership of us anymore but we have the flesh that we wrestle with. The purpose of being here this morning is to not desire evil as they did. Verse 7, he says, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. That just means simply turning to anything else other than God for comfort, for joy, for recreation, for glory, um, for help. Start with him first. Worship him only. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. That is rampant, again, because it's so prevalent in our hearts and so open in society. And now it's not just accepted, but valued, just like Romans 1. It's valued now, and culture and our government is saying congratulations to the people who do pursue those things. Give your lives, don't give yourself over to those things. 
That's verse 8, not indulge in sexual immorality. Number, verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test. Be careful with that. That's very prideful and doesn't, doesn't turn out well for us. Verse 10, nor grumble, <laughs> as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Next time you feel like grumbling... Remember these words. Let me read that again. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. He concludes this section with a verse that's pretty well known, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, this is an assurance that we have, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone else. Okay? God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The choice is yours. To choose him or to choose anything else other than him. And the purpose of our wilderness is to root out those things which make you choose something else other than God. Embrace that. It's hard. If we reject God, that means we're worshiping comfort, and that is idolatry. Choose God, and he will give you the fullness of joy and satisfaction in the circumstances. He's there for you, and his provision and protection and purpose is all there. God's rooting out a bat in our flesh to replace it with him with his holiness. Choose Christ today. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's pray this prayer of dedication. Respond in the ways he has for us today. Let's pray. Lord, your word makes a lot of sense. It is holy and it's glorious and it's profitable for every aspect of our lives in every situation to know what's right, to know what's wrong, to know how to get right, to know how to stay right. Uh, just thank you for, for the work of your word today and the work of your Holy Spirit, who's the one who brings it to life and to light. And I pray that we'll all receive it, be changed by it, and that it would increase the fellowship of, this, of these brethren um, multiple fold even this very morning as we close today and go out into our worlds encouraging each other for the battles in the wilderness that we face. Resting in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.